hope that you'll see as we go through that the Beatitudes are both progressive and they're cumulative. They build on each other. They are basically the steps into the Christian life. Uh, At one point, uh, I was with a counseling ministry that used the Beatitudes as a recovery program. Uh, And uh, it works very, very well because there are steps here. And uh, the steps are very similar if you start looking at them to the 12 steps. Uh, The first three 12 steps are number one, we admitted we were powerless over something in our lives that our lives had become unmanageable. And that lines up with uh, the first beatitude, doesn't it? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize they have a need, uh, a spiritual need. Number two, they came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step number two is blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. We can see that we have a need to be different. That the way we've been going is the wrong way. And things need to be made right in some way. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Number three, and this is where we get to blessed are the meek, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. And when we really look at what it means to be meek, you'll see that that's exactly what we're doing. We are turning our will over to God. Uh, To be meek to those who are listening to Jesus would mean something different than it does today. It had connotations of being gentle, of uh, being uh, uh, considerate, of being uh, concerned about others and all those things. But it didn't have a Casper milk toast uh, kind of an aura to it. Uh, it, it. It actually was a, uh, co- connected with a, uh, a horse training term. Whenever uh, uh, a horse was broken, it was said to be made meek. You took a wild horse that was kicking and bucking and wouldn't be cooperative, was totally uncooperative with a rider, and then after the horse was broken, it still had the same strength, it still had the same power, it was still the same animal, but all of a sudden it was responsive to the rider. And so uh, meekness has this uh, connotation of controlled power. And the question gets to be, who's in control? That's where the question arises. And so, uh, in fact, speaking of that, I remember Dr. Charles Allen talking one time about uh, how there were people that uh, could say, you know, I don't remember when... I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I grew up in the church. I grew up singing, Jesus loves me. I grew up knowing Him and and, and being close to Him and cannot think of a time when I wasn't really close to the Lord. And then there are others that they can give you these uh, 
tawdry testimonies about how horrible they were and all the horrible things they did. But then they found the Lord. And now their lives are so different. And he said that, uh, that a lot of times those people who had the more tame testimonies felt bad about it. But really, you know, I don't want my kids to have a tawdry testimony. And uh, I'm sure that you don't either. If you do have a tawdry testimony, isn't God good that He saved you from the law of sin and death? If you don't, He's still good. He has still saved you from the law of sin and death. The question, the thing is, he said that, and he used the analogy of said there are two different kinds of horses. There are third thoroughbreds, and there are mustangs. The mustang runs wild and free and does whatever it wants to, has no contact with people, and then one day it winds up being roped, and uh, somebody winds up throwing a. Uh, a blanket and a saddle on its back. They put a bit in the horse's mouth. They hop on it and they ride it until it's broken. And that Mustang can always point back to one day and say, that is where I became responsive to the rider. And yet, thoroughbreds are different. Thoroughbreds are brought up around people all the time. From the day they are born, they are being handled by people. They have harnesses put on them at a young, young age, and they're led around. They are uh, uh, totally being uh, groomed and taken care of and, 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 and taught how to follow a lead. And, uh, and then their blankets are put on them early on, and then finally a, a saddle is put on them, and they get used to everything bit by bit. And one day the rider slides onto their back and it's just a natural thing for them to be responsive to the rider. The question gets to be, are you responsive to the rider today? Are you under, are you submitted to his control and his guidance and his direction today? That's what it really boils down to. Are you His today? No matter how you got to this point, be it through a nice, smooth way or through a rough and choppy way, are you His today? Because the thing is, whether you have the choppy testimony or the smooth testimony, if He is not your Lord, then you're not His. And so that's kind of the way we come down on that. So... Uh, you know, bottoming out is a recovery term that refers to that moment when you've reached the end of your rope in some way and you have nothing left. And that's the first beatitude whenever you come to the place where you're spiritually just empty and you realize and recognize that you're empty. And next you realize what a mess you've made of your life, of your relationships, of, uh, of so many different things in life. And uh, you regret it and you grieve it. That's number two. Number three, you look to God for help, realizing that He can make a difference where you could not. And at that point, at that point, 
you're at one of the most crucial spiritual moments any human being will ever experience. Because right there at that point to where you realize that you have been in control of your life, that you have been calling the shots, and that you've just been letting God play second fiddle. Uh, Whenever you get to that point, faith, repentance, obedience, and meekness all come together and converge in the most wonderful and mighty way. And they converge in a way that makes an an eternal change to your very soul. You tried your way and it hasn't worked. And now you're willing to stop doing things your way, which has kept you from God and all the good that He has in store for you. And you're willing to obey. You're willing to obey. And why are you able to do this? Because you believe now that His ways are better than your ways. You've tried your ways, and as Dr. Phil says, how's that working for you? That's basically what the Lord told me. How's that working for you? And it wasn't working very well. But whenever we come to that place to where we realize that our way hasn't worked, and we're willing to try His way, and we submit our will to His, and we believe His ways are going to be better, then knowing that He has your best interest at heart no matter what, then you wind up coming to this place that we can call being meek before God. And, you know, repentance is whenever you turn around and go the other way. And so you see, repentance isn't just being sorry for your sin. Repentance isn't just uh, 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 beating yourself up. Repentance is turning around. You've been running from God. You have been uh, one who has actually uh, been contentious with God. Maybe you've been arguing with God and arguing with His Word, and all of a sudden you realize you're arguing with your Creator, and you need to stop doing that and start cooperating with Him. And then you turn around. Instead of running from God, you run to God. That's what repentance is all about. It's not a shameful thing. It's the most wonderful thing that anybody could ever do because it puts you on the right track in your life where you've been on the wrong track before. Now there are three examples that I want to lift up to you of men in the Bible who are considered meek. The first is Abraham. And although it doesn't state that he is meek, he is one who was submissive to God where all these things that we're talking about all converged at one point to where he became God's friend. And God referred to his friend, Abraham. It said that he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that word, when it says that he believed, he trusted what God said, he was willing to do what God said to do, no matter what the consequences not knowing what he was getting into, just knowing that God had promised good to him, he stepped out into the unknown. He stepped out into areas he had never been in before. And every step of the way, 
God proved himself faithful. Even to the point to where whenever God said, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son for me. He was willing to take that knife and he was willing to, just before he plunged it into his son, remember God stopped him. But that's how obedient he was. How meek he was. How willing to cooperate with God. It says that he trusted God so that he knew that even if his son, the son of promise, the son that was promised to him when he was in his 80s and his wife was beyond childbearing age, and yet here he is, that even if he had to give up the life of his son, that God could raise that son up again. And so he had faith. When things looked impossible, when things looked hard, when things looked uh, like they could never come about, he trusted and God proved himself true over and over again. One who is referred to as as meek is Moses. And it says, "Now now the man Moses was very meek more than all people who were on the face of the earth. But you wouldn't say that Moses was a Casper Milktoast sort of a person, would you? He wasn't some sort of a namby-pamby little weakling. He led three million people through the desert for years. People that griped a lot and got on wrong tracks and uh, were kind of hard to even be around. And still, he was able to lead them. And yet, he's, it says that he was meek. And he was meek and that he was willing to listen to God. And he would do what God told him to do. Now, that brings us to the third person. And that's the person that's telling, the, telling us this this morning. And that's Jesus. It is Jesus who says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And you need to understand that Jesus practiced what he preached. He practiced everything that he's expected of us. He has gone through at some point in his life. He doesn't expect anything from you that he hasn't gone through himself. He's faced faced temptation. He's faced all sorts of physical pain. He has faced everything that you could possibly face in his life. And so whenever he tells us to do something, we know that we can do it. One of the reasons I think why Jesus came, God in the flesh, was to show us where our problem really was. And the thing is, a lot of people complain today and they say, God made me like this. And I I have to sin because God made me uh, with a penchant for this kind of sin. Well, the thing is, Jesus came and He was sinless. He was perfect. And that shows us there's nothing wrong with the physical body. It's what spirit does with it. We have a spiritual problem. It's not a physical problem. And uh, we've got to come to grips with that before we can get spiritual answers and answers that will really make a difference in our lives. It is a problem but it is a spiritual problem. I can remember years ago 
back when I was in the claims profession, I would, one of the things that different kinds of claims that I handled were fidelity claims where people stole from their employers. And it was always fascinating to me because you, you would never suspect most of these people of being thieves. But, uh, and I got to one of the things, I was questioning a lot of things back then, trying to figure a lot of things out as a young man. And one of the things that I began to see was you could have two people in exactly the same sort of position, doing the same sort of thing, having the same background, and yet one would starve to death before they would steal, and the other would steal before you batted an eye. And uh, it wasn't nurture versus nature or anything like that. I began to see that at the base of it all, we all have a spiritual compass deep within our souls. And that arrow points either toward doing what's right or toward doing what's wrong. And until we've repented and gone toward God, uh, our arrow deep inside is going to be pointing the wrong way. And we're going to be making wrong choices until we have committed our lives willfully to the Lord. And, uh, and so uh, this is a deep problem. It is a spiritual problem. Now, as we mentioned, meekness is a term that's broad enough to include gentleness, humility, consideration, and courtesy. And meekness in the life of a Christian can be seen in how one reacts to situations. We can be very critical of ourselves, and that's fine, right? But let someone else repeat the same thing about us, and whoa, we can react in a really bad, unchristian way, can't we? The meek person refuses to be provoked, but entrusts everything to God. You know, as I was thinking about this, you know, you could actually say, Blessed are the obedient, for they shall inherit the earth. The two are that close together. Because when it comes to being meek before God, you're not going to be meek before God without obeying Him. Because you've submitted yourself to His control. Whenever you start to look at a Christian, I think uh, the more meekness they show, the more they sound like 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, I'll just read that to you real quickly here. In 1 Corinthians 13, it's called the love chapter in the Bible. You hear it a lot of times at weddings. But uh, it should describe you living every day. You should be able to put your name in the place where it says love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Can you put your name in those two spots? Are you patient? Are you kind? And is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Can you fill in that blank with your name? If you can, then you're meek.
you're meek. And what people are seeing is the meekness of the Lord showing through you. And yet, you know, the opposite of meekness is contentiousness. People who are always looking to argue, people who are always at odds and finding something to uh, to find fault with. And I'm afraid we're seeing way too much of that these days. I see people being contentious with each other uh, in our country. I see them being contentious with each other in our church. I see them being contentious toward each other. I see them being contentious toward God Himself. And it's really sad. I know uh, what I saw in the news that those killings had taken place in Lafayette. I decided just to go on Twitter and see what people were saying because I, I thought maybe I could get some updates. But it just grieved my heart to see that two hours after these people had been killed, people were already on there trying to make political hay out of it. Instead of grieving for the people who are hurting so bad and grieving for our country that's come to a place it was, well, now can we talk about gun control? Now can we do this? Showing all the people and the things that really matter to one side to jump on some sort of a political soapbox. That was sad. That was sad. Well, there's too much contentiousness these days, folks. And it's because we don't have enough people that have heeded these words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. A lot of the conflict that we see in the church worldwide today, I think, can be attributed to the fact that uh, many who bear the name of Christ have not come to this place in the progression of their faith to where meekness has truly manifested itself. Alexander the Great was once holding court and a young man was brought before him, a soldier, and he had uh, been brought before him for misconduct. And Alexander recognized this young man. He said, young man, you've been before me before, haven't you? He said, yes, sir, I have. What's your name? He said, my name is Alexander, sir. He was named after his leader. Alexander looked at him and said, soldier, Either change your conduct or change your name. And I think that Jesus would say that to a lot of us today. Change your conduct or change your name. Don't bear the name of Christ. Don't call yourself Christian if you're not going to be my follower and be worthy of my name. Jesus gives Himself the greatest example of this uh, being submissive to God when he's on his knees in the garden and he dreads the cross. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And he got up and he was willing to go to the cross even though it was inconvenient, it was uncomfortable. How quickly we cast aside our allegiance to the Lord whenever it's not convenient or it's uncomfortable. And yet, That's not meekness. You see, meekness goes all the way through the bone into the heart to our very soul. And we trust Him no matter what. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would say, Though He slay me, yet I will follow Him and I will remain true to Him. 
You see, meekness is obedience that doesn't stop when it's inconvenient. It's obedience that permeates and affects everything. Let me give you just one little area of our life where uh, our obedience may be lacking nowadays. Do you remember the movie Liar, Liar? Do you remember what happened in that movie? All of a sudden this guy could not tell a lie. All he could tell, say was the truth. And uh, it got him in all sorts of trouble telling the truth because he would just have to blurt it out and say what was true. And yet, you know, in Scripture we're told that uh, liars will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's made very clear that lying is an abomination to God. And yet we are taught and we believe somehow and rationalize that sometimes it's okay to lie. It's not. It's not. God hates lies just as much as He hates a whole lot of other stuff. And yet I see some people who have perfected it as an art. I mean, they will lie when there's no need to lie. They'll lie. I mean, anyway, that's, I won't get off on that. Anyway, you know who I'm talking about or, or what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to name names. Anyway, there's some people that just, they can't open their mouth without a lie coming out. And uh, those people, you need to pray for their souls because their souls are in danger. But sometimes it's a challenge and sometimes it can be inconvenient, can't it, to tell the truth. Like whatever your wife asks you, Honey, do these pants make me look fat? What do you say, guys? Don't give me an answer right now. But uh, you've got to, but the thing is, you don't lie. You don't lie, even at those times. Whenever you're sitting over there sulking in the car and, uh, and he says, What's the matter? And you say, Nothing. That's a lie. You're supposed to tell the truth. You're not supposed to lie. Do you see? It's, it's one of these things where we just get in habits of doing things that still need to be brought under the umbrella of our God's wisdom and His mercy. Because if you, can't, if you lie once, how can anybody ever believe you in anything? And so, But that's just one example. But is it worth it? It says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, one of the places that we see this is uh, in the, uh, the book of Mark, where we see that uh, the rich young ruler has come to Jesus, and, uh, the, and he said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? And finally, Jesus tells him, one thing you lack, go sell everything, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And then he goes away poor. He goes away heartbroken and sad, it says. It also says that Jesus loved him, but notice that he didn't go after him. He let him make his own choice. And that's what he does with each one of us. He loves us. He gives us the information. But then we make our own choices. He respects your decision to follow him or not follow him. But at the end, Jesus has talked about how hard it is for rich people to come into the, the, into the, the kingdom. And then Peter seems to think about it for a while. And then it says that Peter said to him, Lord, behold, we have left everything and followed you. Hey, Jesus, we did that. We did it. And listen to Jesus' response. 
Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Yes, it's worth it. Because whenever once you do that, once you submit to Him and you're on the same page with Him, all of a sudden your life has meaning and fulfillment and a power in it that it's never had before. And it will be different. It will be rich where it's been just a dearth before. And not only that, you can enjoy every minute of this life because you know you've got... 10,000 times 10,000 years more in the life to come and then some. Yes, it's worth it. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.